I'm going to jump into a brand new sermon series. If you're here for the first time, uh, maybe as a family or friend of the graduates, my name is Craig Case. I'm the lead pastor. I have the privilege to pastor this community called Maple Grove Covenant. And we're in a brand new series that we're going to run through July called Stuff Really Happens. Kind of play it off that phrase, Stuff Happens. And I was thinking about um, uh, actually a time uh, a while ago uh, when I first started, started out as a youth pastor, kind of like Sam, uh, I had problems with a molar tooth, and uh, I'm not a big fan of dentists. So I put it off for a long time, and it was a major cavity. It got to the point where that molar tooth actually crumbled and decayed. I kept putting it off, even though the tooth was barely there. And finally, the, the pain became so excruciating, I had to go to a, dan- a dentist. So I just picked out a random dentist. It was in the middle of the day of a weekday. Uh, I just left the church office and went to a dentist. And he had a hard time getting it, getting it out, and plus it was really painful because I waited way too long. And he gave me three or four shots of Novocaine and still was painful. And I knew I was in trouble when he said, how much do you weigh? I'm going to give you a couple more shots of Novocaine. And, and finally, I got a couple more shots of Novocaine. He finally pulled it out and gave me some painkillers. And I thought I could just go back to the church office and kind of go about my day as normal. So I went back, I sat in my office chair, and my head was swirling, and the blood had not clotted in my tooth area. Uh, so I went to the bathroom, and as I was walking, I collapsed. I had blood all over my shirt. When the secretaries ran over to me, just screaming, Craig, Craig, are you okay? I'm like, you know, the, the man side of me. I'm fine. I'm totally fine. <laughs> I, can't, I can't stand up. I have blood in my shirt, but I'm totally fine. Don't worry about me. And she's like, no, let me help you. Let me help you up. I'm like, no, 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 no. But she did help me up and kind of helped me through that day. But that's kind of, a, I think, an analogy for a lot of us because we, we think that we, we don't need to be saved. We're totally fine on our own. That we're smart enough, clever enough, uh, intelligent enough that, that we really don't need to be saved. And it reminds me actually a little bit of a story of uh, Francis Collins, uh, this brilliant scientist. And... Uh, 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 Collins is the head of the National Institute of Health, and before that, he actually headed up the Human uh, Genome Project. And if you know anything about Collins, he's just, ab- like I said, absolutely brilliant. I'm watching a uh, special right now on uh, sort of a drama on Albert Einstein on National Geographic TV, and Collins is kind of like that. He got a PhD, and he thought, you know what, I, re- I really want to help people, so he went and got his MD. And as he was doing his residency in, in the rural south, uh, this very intelligent man again, he was talking to the elderly as he was doing, doing his residency. And, you know, these, these folks, not as intelligent as him, obviously, but uh, one, of the, one of the elderly women asked him this question, Dr. Collins, do you know where you're going to go after you die? And he said that question hit, hit him like a thunderbolt. And he answered, no, I don't. Which actually propelled him then to begin reading the Bible, reading C.S. Lewis, because he realized, I'm not smart enough, I'm not good enough to save myself. Only God can. And it was through the scriptures and it was through C.S. Lewis and talking with these elderly folks that he actually came to faith in Jesus Christ. And... um, leads really an example of where you can mix faith and science together. And it's been just an incredible uh, influence for a lot of people. And the series that we're uh, going through, Stuff Really Happens, 
as Collins found out as he was uh, reading the Bible and reading C.S. Lewis, is that he had very little control over his life because before that he thought he had plenty of control. But he realized he didn't have much control. And for, in fact, for him, what he said is that it seemed like lo- life happens to him so much. And that's true for a lot of us, isn't it? Life happens to us. Conflict happens to us. Problems happen. Puberty happens to us, but although no one volunteers for that. But uh, a lot of things happen to us. And it seems like we have very little control, but the, the sort of the thesis of the backbone of this series is that even though we have very little control on the things that happen to us, we worship a God and we believe in a God who is above our stuff and can guide and direct us through the stuff of our lives. And over the course of this series, we're going to be coming back to that over and over, that we have a God who is above our stuff and is control in control, even when it seems like our lives are in control. And this morning, we're going to talk about is that grace happens. Yes, conflict happens, growth happens, problems happen, but grace happens. That's where we need to start. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to read verses 8 through 9. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along with the slides, the teaching notes. There are a few fill in the blanks, and I'll uh, bring those about as I preach. And let me pray before we get started. God in heaven, thank you so much for this day, this momentous day for our high school graduates. And God, we lean into uh, this topic of grace. And whether we haven't been at church for a long time or it's, we, it's something that we come to every week, God, we need to learn and relearn grace. Grace is that singular um, pulse of what we call the Christian faith. And yet, it seems like we we understand it cognitively, but a lot of times we fall out of that and forget about it. Help us this morning. God, I pray that these words would be your words and that I would be a vessel for you. I submit submit myself to you for your work. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9. This is written by the Apostle Paul, uh, a guy who for most of his life thought he could really earn his way to heaven. If you, He followed all the commandments. And he talks about this, for example, in the book of Galatians, that he was like the, the Jew of the Jews. He followed every commandment. But he realized that his merit and his works wasn't enough. And he, he writes probably two of the most important sentences we have in the Bible on grace. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. Underline that phrase, you can't take credit for this. You're not smart enough. You're not clever enough. You're not intelligent enough. It is a what? Gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. He goes on with that and talks about God's masterpiece. And on stage right here, we have all these ladders. And these ladders kind of give us a, a picture of how we can do life. For us, do we climb the ladders to achieve? Do we climb the ladders of success? Do we need to climb the ladders to really make it in life? Or do we accept this gift from God called grace? Well, there is no ladder needed. Really, two options of doing life. It comes down to that. And I think for a lot of us, very similar to my opening story, that a lot of us are trying to save our lives and that word, I think, has been a cliche when we say save. It's kind of lost its meaning when it comes to the church. But save means to be healed, means to be delivered, means, means to be rescued. And I need that. I need to be saved from my aloneness. 
I need to be saved from my guilt or my regrets, my fear of death, my fear about life. We all need that. And one of the common ways that we, tar- we, we try to allay that, or we try to soften that, is by climbing ladders. Cli- climbing ladders of success, or trying to impress people. You know, we think that if we climb high enough, that we can make it. Don't worry, I'm not going to the top. I'm afraid of heights. This is about as far as I go. But we think that if we climb, if we climb high enough, we clutch clutch these that will make it to the top. And it's, it seems like life is so much like that. It's one thing after another that where we have to achieve. That's the first fill in the blank is that we try to define our lives by climbing ladder, ladders of success or impressing people. We think it, that, that it, for us to really make it in life, to impress people or to achieve, that we have to climb these ladders and make it to the top. But does it work? It reminds me of a quote from an old movie called Chariots of Fire. The well-known British sprinter named Henry Abrahams has this line in the movie. I just love it. He says, when the gun goes off, I will raise my eyes and look down that quarter, quarter of a mile, and have 10 lonely seconds to justify my existence. Think about that. How many of us feel that? Whether you go to church, whether you're a believer or not, how many of us think that? That I I have to do this to justify myself, to define myself, for people to love me, to like me. But what if you don't win the race? What if you do win the race and you have to keep running over and over and over again? Or you climb the ladder and you make it to the top and it feels like you have to climb even higher and higher because it seems like you don't measure up. And for us to understand that, and because for us, it's, it's like we, we need our egos to be satisfied. And then we have children. We have high school graduates. And we say, here, here's your little ladder. I, you, need, you need to climb up this ladder in order to, to make it in this country, in order to be successful. You need to climb this. You need to impress people. And I think that's uh, sort of a tenor in, in our culture is this desire to uh, think that you're a very important person because when you climb these ladders, it seems like you're a very important person. There was a study done in 1950. Americans were asked this question, do you think you're a very important person? 12% said yes. What do you think it is today? Turn to the person next to you and venture a guess. How many said 50%? Okay, AJ, all right. 60%, you're wrong though. 60%, it's actually 80%. 80%. That we think we're very important people. And for us, as we think we're very important people, we pass that on to our kids, and it's, it's like we, we, we need them to climb up these ladders in, in order to be viewed as very important people. And we have these expectations, and we have, we have these ladders, and it's crushing our kids. And for 
students today too, there was a study done on this, it actually just blew my mind, on the number of students today versus a number of years ago in terms of their level of achievement, climbing the ladder of the GPA, the, really the holy grail, right? I mean, that's the ladder for our kids, is the GPA, either in high school or in college. And in 1966, the, the percentage of American high school students that had an accumulative average of an A or an A plus was 19%. 19%. Today, 66. We have high achievers in this country. Want, they feel like they want to be, uh, you know, be very important, thought of as very important, but also high achievers when it comes to these, these GPAs. Now, these are fine. And I want to say to our graduates, GPAs are good. Okay? They're good. I'm not saying they're bad. Uh, your next chapter of your life, your, uh, in terms of college and jobs, those are good things. But just make sure as you engage in that, that that doesn't become something that defines you as graduates in this next chapter of your life. Because it's very easy for us to take a GPA or a good job or whatever it is, that's a good thing, and turn it into the ultimate thing. Author and pastor Tim Keller calls that sin. Sin is, that's number two, when we take a good thing and make it the ultimate thing. When we climb up that ladder, whether it's academics, job, whatever achievement it is, success, your bank account, and, and, and we make that good thing the ultimate thing, that's sin. And I would say, at least for me, I'm not the best judge of my own sins. I'm not aware that, that that's happening in life because it's very subtle where I make a good thing into an ultimate thing without me really even knowing about it. It reminds me of a story when I was a youth director, actually volunteer, when I was 19 years old. I just started out two months into it. And we had this sort of, uh, about five or six youth groups come together. I had five kids in my youth group. The other ones had like 20, 30, whatever. But I loved my kids. We had a great time. And I had no idea what I was doing when I was 19. We just hung out and had a good time and taught the Bible and all that. But we had this overnighter. And uh, so all these youth, group, youth groups came together and youth directors. And they said, okay, someone has to give the gospel message. Why don't you do it, Craig? And back then, I was very shy, very introverted. I flunked public speech uh, in, uh, in high school. I, I was terrified. I'd rather take an F in speech uh, because of my fear of speaking in front of people. Ironic that I'm a pastor now, okay? God has a great sense of humor. But anyways, they elected me. I don't know why, because there was one youth director. He was a DJ on 101.3 KDWB. His name was Hollywood Henderson. I'm like, have Hollywood do it. He does it for a living. You're asking me? So I gave in. I said yes for some odd reason. I don't know why. Anyways, I prepared the best I could, got my, my, my little message speech ready, went up there and gave a 20-minute uh, impassioned uh, speech for students to receive Christ before we did, did this all-nighter. We were going bowling and all that. Um, and I thought it went really well. I actually liked it. And then uh, after the message was done, one of my students, he was sitting right in the, I, I still remember, left side, front row, uh, him and his girlfriend. He's a sophomore at Rosemount High School. He walked on to play basketball for the Gophers. He was part of that Final Four team in the late 90s, okay? He was sitting right there with his girlfriend. He walked up right after I said amen, and he said, Craig, you said, uh, 56 times. <laughs> and he walked away. That's all he said. Oh, Hosea, thank you. Okay? 
And I don't remember once saying, uh. I don't remember it once. And I think in the same way that when it comes to sin in our life, that we don't realize that it occurs. That it happens. It, kind of, it just kind of seeps in. But we're really good at pointing out other people's sins, right? We know that person's sin. Or this person over there. We're a fine judge of their sins. And it kind of reminds me of this kind of goofy story. It's not a real story, but I'm going I'm to tell it to you, and I'm going to insert me and a few people on staff into this story. But it's, it's the story where um, I go to heaven, and I see all these clocks with names underneath them, names that I recognize. And I turn to St. Peter, and I say, St. Peter, what is this? What are these clocks? He said, well, every time there's a tick, that means the person on earth is sinning. So I, I look over, and I, I see Brian Schrader's name. 30 seconds go by, tick. 15 seconds, tick. And I look over, I see Sam Randall's name. 10 seconds go by, tick. And then 20 seconds, tick. I look over at another clock, and it's my, it's my son's name. Tick, 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 tick. And that's disturbing. I'm like, oh, I thought I was a better parent than that. And then I'm looking around at these, all of these clocks, and I see all your names on these clocks, except mine. And I'm feeling pretty good. And this fly is flying around me right now. Um, but I'm feeling pretty good. I, my chest is kind of puffed out. I'm sort of erect. And I come to St. Peter, you know, self-righteous, and I say to St. Peter, I don't see any of these clocks uh, with my name on it. He said, no, that, that's back in the office. The, the guys are using it as a fan. Yeah, it, it, it's very easy for us to, to notice the sins of other people, but meanwhile, the sin in our own lives occurs without us realizing it. And we don't see it. We don't discern it. We see it in other people. And wherever we stand in our Christianity and our faith, just know this, is that, and this, this is something I always come back to, that at some point, I'm going to stand before a perfect and holy God. And I'm going to have to give an account for my life. And when those times I'm thinking I'm actually doing pretty good, I think about my perfect God, and I fall short. I fall short every time. And, and maybe some of us, especially the human tendency, is to think, well, I'm really not that bad. I, I didn't kill anybody. I didn't steal anything. So we sort of climb I would say this ladder of morality. You know, we're good enough. We're good enough to make it to heaven. And we tend to put people in two groups. There's good people and there's bad people. And we think that, well, I'm a good person because I go to church sometimes, I read the Bible sometimes, I serve and volunteer sometimes. Um, I sing sometimes during worship. And we, we, we think we do enough and we climb that ladder of morality. And we, we fall short. Because here's the deal, and I think in our culture, we believe that technology is going to save our human race. I mean, if you really talk to people, and I have friends that live in the Silicon Valley area in California, I mean, technology is like a religion where they believe that technology is going to save all our um, maladies and ills in society. But the last time I checked, there isn't an app that I can push that's going to tell me about how selfish I am or how dark my heart is, how much 
envy and jealousy and pride I have in my life. The last time I checked, it's not there. It doesn't tell me about my tendency to follow up the lie, to cheat, to deceive, be greedy, and betray. There is no app for that. And into all this mess comes Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9, that this gift of God, grace happens. Grace happens in the midst of all these ladders that we climb in our lives. You don't have to climb a ladder. Jesus comes in and offers a new way. Put the ladders away, he says. I'm giving you grace. It's faith through grace in Jesus Christ. And I think for us to realize again and again that grace is not works. It's not saving ourselves. And number three in your teaching notes is this, is that grace is not a ladder to climb up, but it's one where Jesus comes down. He climbs down. Grace is not a ladder where we climb up, but it's actually one where Jesus climbs down. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve it at all. And I think sometimes we don't realize just how prevalent sin is in our lives. I'm gonna, I know I, I'm coming back to that again, but I just want to reemphasize that a few times in this message because we don't talk about it in church these days. It's the S word. No one talks about sin anymore. William Backus, a, tw- a Twin City psychologist, actually did a study a number of years ago that with empirical data, he made the ar- argument in a professional um, journal that the average American uh, deceives 200 times a day. That's a lot. 200 times. And deception is only one form of sin. Okay? So let's bring that back. Let's say it's only 10 times. 10 times a day that we sin. Okay? So 10 times I sin today, 10 times you sin today. That's actually not too bad, right? And then uh, at the end of the year, how many is that? 3,650, right? Over a decade, 36,500, right? Is my math okay? I'm not a math person. Okay. And then let's just kind of take a, take a, a, a sort of an overall picture. Let's say you live to be the age of 70. Okay? We'll give you the first 10 years off because that's the age of innocence. So you have 60 years of 10 sins every day. At the end, 200,000 sins. You will stand before God with 200,000 sins. Unbelievable. It's in that darkness. It's in that sin. We can't do enough. We can't climb high enough to overcome that. It's only through grace given by Jesus Christ. And he invites all of us, no matter where you're at this morning. You might be a person this morning where, where you're a strong Christian. You think, well, it's only you know, a couple of steps between me and God. I remember an interview that Bill, uh, Billy Graham did with Charlie Rose, where Charlie said, Billy, you know, you've preached to more human beings in the history of, uh, of our world. How do you feel about it? And Billy Graham said, I have failed my Lord miserably. I, see, I heard the same thing from Mother Teresa, too, when they were, a reporter asked her at the end of her life how she felt. She said the same thing. I have, I have fallen short of my Lord. So whether you, you see yourself only a couple steps that you really need between you and God, or you might feel like you're here and something's happened in your life, uh, you've been away from the church, you have committed, you think, a greatest sin, and you, you feel like you have to climb a long ways, know that the ladders need to be obsolete. Grace moves in. Grace happens. And you're invited in, no matter who you are. 
reminds me of a story in June of 1990. The Boston Globe ran this story about uh, a couple that they were engaged. And they both had very expensive tastes, and they wanted to have a lavish wedding banquet. So they went down to the Hyatt Hotel in downtown Boston. This is a true story. And... Um, sat down with the wedding coordinator and went through books and pages of flowers and champagne and the entrees. They won the absolute perfect wedding banquet. And the total bill came to $13,000. Doesn't seem like much in ni- today, but in 1990, that's a lot of money. Today, probably between forty dollars to $50,000. Very expensive wedding, wedding banquet. Well, right before the wedding invitations were to go out, what do you think happens? The groom gets cold feet. It's always the guy, isn't it? The groom gets cold feet. He says, I really am not sure. I don't know if I can do this. I'm not sure if I can be committed that long. Uh, I have a lot of questions. So they, they, they canceled the wedding. And the bride went down to the Hyatt to try to get the money back. And she shared what happened, and the wedding coordinator felt so empathetic for her because she knew exactly what it was like, because it happened to her. She shared her story. Same thing happened to me, she said. You know, my fiancé broke it off at the last minute. I know exactly how you feel, but I have bad news. The contract is binding. Uh, You have to forfeit the money. All we can do is give you back 10%, $1,300. I am so sorry. I really am, she said. And the wedding coordinator said, you have two options. You can just forfeit all that money, or you can just go ahead with this banquet. Just have a party with some friends or something. And the jilted bride had an idea. Because before this, she actually lived in a homeless shelter 10 years previous. But she got on her feet, got a really good job, and was able to save a nest egg and be well off. But she had an idea. Instead of a wedding banquet, she, to make this, she wanted to make it a, this big bash, a bash that Boston had never seen before with a different kind of um, group of people. She sent invitations out to rescue missions and homeless shelters. She had people go to uh, nursing homes to invite senior, senior citizens in for this night. She had people go on the street and invite vagrants and addicts to come in for this night. And she mixed, she sort of changed the entrees. There was chicken cordon bleu, but in honor of the groom, uh, she put in the entree boneless chicken. She did. The night came. The night came. A party that Boston had never seen before. There were homeless people actually eating chicken cordon bleu, where they're so used to. Uh, gnawing at, at half uh, sl- slices of pizza from a cardboard box. There were um, waiters with, with tuxedos on serving hors d'oeuvres to elderly people that were held up by crutches and aluminum walkers. And there were addicts and people from the street just having a short reprieve from their normal life on the street. And they were there sipping champagne and enjoying a wedding cake. And it was an amazing night as everybody danced to the big band melodies late in that summer night. That's exactly what the kingdom of God is like. He invites you and I into his kingdom, this banquet. I love it in Luke chapter 15, uh, where we see actually 
the prodigal son who has sinned so much against his father. He has blown his inheritance. He has fallen short of the ladder that was expected. And he thought he was going to have to repay everything back, that he was going to have to really climb this ladder. And it says here in Luke chapter 15, verses 21 through 24, the prodigal son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house. Put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. And the party began. The party began, it says. And Jesus says, The kingdom of God is like a banquet. Why? Because of grace. Grace happens. And Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ. No condemnation. Condemnation does not happen. Judgment doesn't happen. Grace happens. Grace happens. And whenever I think about when I'm here early in the morning, during the week, or perhaps on a Sunday morning, preparing for this message, I look at this cross. And oftentimes I look at the horizontal beam and I'm reminded so much of the grace given by Jesus in his outstretched arms, that it's not ladders that connect me with God. It's actually through Jesus Christ and the giving of his life. There's no greater love, says Jesus, than a person who actually gives his life for his friends. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He gave his life. And the Bible is very clear on this. You're not good enough. You're not, you can't try hard enough. You can't climb high enough. You can't compare yourself enough to other people. You can't give enough. You can't attend church enough. But what you can do this morning, I want to invite you, is to humble yourself. To receive this grace made available in Jesus Christ. The giving of his life was to make these ladders obsolete in life. To clear them away and for you simply to accept this free gift, will you? I invite everybody to bow their heads, close your eyes. I want this to be a moment between you and God. Again, you might be a family member here just by, you know, once a year sort of thing. This is a moment for you. This is a moment of all moments. And, and maybe for you, that you're sort of struggling with that, that of all the sins in, in your life or falling short. But you need to know that you are forgiven. And if you want to receive Jesus Christ into your life as the Savior and leader of your life, I want you to pray with me. You can just pray it silently. Jesus, I want to get off the ladder I've been trying to climb, trying to justify my existence through how good I am or my achievements or the kind of life I've been living. I confess to you my sin that I cannot fix. I repent. I come to the cross and receive Jesus to be the forgiver and leader of my life. I ask you to help me. God, help me start a new life with you and walk with you as you help me to do that as long as I'm here on earth and then to live with you forevermore. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen.